let me talk at you. Welcome one and all to Not Just A Guy, the show about struggling storytellers. I'm your host, Not Just A Guy, the guy, Garrett Briones, and do I have a doozy for you on episode 10. Folks, this is a, this one is a, you know, they, there's the saying, one for them, one for me. This is definitely a one for me and also one for you. I am so excited. There, I, on, on my notes, I have so many titles for this man. He is a broadcaster. He is a podcaster. He is a host. He is a writer, a comedian. He has a history in professional wrestling. He has been he is a first responder in public safety, and he is a lover of Chihuahuas. Folks, welcome to the show, Ken Napsaw. Ken, thank you for being here. Oh, man, thank you so much for having me here, Garrett. This is uh, just absolutely what, wonderful. What, you're just reminding me all the things that I should put aside to concentrate on one thing, but we'll talk about hey. that. I have I've talked um, one of my closest friends was on here and she was talking about not confining your art to do everything you know I talked to her about how you know I'm a filmmaker first and foremost but I want to write a book one day I want to I want to be in a professional wrestling match with my best friend uh, we've talked about this many a time he, that's his dream and I would yeah. love for our dreams to intersect but uh yes I'm so excited to have you uh, speaking of wrestling, this this episode is going to reveal a little bit of how the sausage is made as far as my notes go. I don't have any segments on this show, but I unofficially format them that way. And this first one is called Put Him Over. I do that for everybody. I put them over, talk about them. And Ken, if you'd let me, I'd like to weave a little tale for you. All the way back in in 2012, I was a fan of two gentlemen named Schmoes No. They talked to uh, Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis. They had movie reviews. You know, I was a an aspiring filmmaker. I wanted to get into that. I wanted to listen to people talk about movies nowadays. Uh, that's it's a, it's a hellscape of its own uh, online about anything, but they had a podcast. They always plugged. And when I got a laptop, uh, I was like, wait, they have their podcast is live. I I've never heard of a live podcast. And so I, I dialed up my old computer. I went on and on January 17th, 2013, I watched a, that's actually my girlfriend's birthday. Uh, I watched a podcast of theirs and there was, you know, they were there. And then, and then I saw this guy, there was this, this man in, in the third screen. He had a suit on. I was like, Whoa, this man, this guy's a professional, no offense to the schmoes, but this man's professional. Uh, you know, five minutes go by music starts playing that at the time I didn't know belonged to Brett, the Hitman heart, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And this guy, he's just, he's talking about news headlines. He's making me laugh. I'm like, where's this guy been? And that was the night I learned about Ken Napsok. So this has been a long time coming. Uh, can can you remember back to those days? What 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 do you look fondly back on? Almost you know a decade later. What, what do you look back fondly on those times? Over a decade later, when I started, I started producing the Schmoes podcast with uh, Christian and Mark, in October two thousand twelve. Mm -hmm. crazy to think and you know i've known them known them both since about 2003 but uh that era and, and that show i kind of could probably even remember the guest at that, those early days it was the uncharted territory we were in that was really exciting you mentioned not seeing a live podcast before i hadn't really either they and some other mm -hmm. folks the toad hop network and initially at the john levitt's uh, theater they were doing live shows and i had come mm -hmm. from radio and one of the reasons i kind of had turned my nose up at podcasting which was stupid mm -hmm. Uh, and lacked foresight on my mm -hmm. my side, but I, you know, it was the radio was live, man. I used to do my six hour mm -hmm. shift, my four hour shift, and it was live. And if you messed up, you messed up, and there was an energy to it. And so podcasting yeah. didn't have that. And then that the, Christian and Mark were doing it, and I was like, "What are they, these schlubs are doing it? Why can't I do it?" And uh, <laughs> slowly worked my way into it. And that was those times. And we were we we didn't none of us felt we were like 
helping to build the digital media industry. And, and that sounds grand to say that. I think there's mm -hmm. thousands of people during that era yeah. that were doing the same thing. But you look back, like we used to, there's a lot of things we and others around us established that became yeah. normal, part of the fun. Yeah, you know, that you guys were, were my gateway into it. And then, like I said, you know, I followed you to through many a podcast, Jedi Alliance, the Knapsack Files, uh, you know, you name it. I probably listened to it, the Blathering, you know, ones that are related to, uh, to places far, far away. Uh, you know, we're still amid a strike. We're talking around things. That's been one of my favorite things about your podcast, Force Center, uh, with Joseph Scrimshaw and Jennifer Landa. Is talk. I, I love the uh, the talking around everything. Is what <laughs> I have enjoyed. Yeah. And so yeah. can I open every episode with this? I, this is the first question I like to ask my guests. And I think it sets the tone. So Ken now talking to look down right down the barrel. I do this every time. Are you struggling? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're catching me. This is Garrett. Garrett you, you got you got a great uh, time. You, you found a great time to talk to me. I'm really struggling. <laughs> How so? Struggling in a lot of ways. I'm struggling to uh, I, I, I'll start positive. I have never more been myself as an artist, as, as a creator, as a, as a storyteller, as a, a person. I'm always mm -hmm. growing. I'm always changing. I've gone through some great changes, big changes, uh, both uh, philosophically, uh, you know, politically, uh, just, you know, uh, being a better partner, being a better person, all these things and trying to own my mistakes. We can get in some mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes with Schmoes, mm -hmm. Collider, Train Junkies and, and GPA and beyond. Um, but uh it's a hard wall to climb and i'm not opposed to going to get that job that puts me over the hump i worked a day job for 17 years but mm -hmm. it's really hard out out there right now to break through the algorithms to break through this mm -hmm. structure that's now in place for creative people to try to make a living which i believe should be an option um because mm -hmm. art is important i'm not saying my art's important but i'm saying the ecosystem of art is important and i'm struggling to stay afloat in it Mm -hmm. um despite a lot of wonderful things i'm proud of and things that are coming out soon that i'm very proud of you can add songwriter to my list of things i now do i have a, a ep coming out with some friends and, and uh, a band um but yeah i'm struggling i wake up every day going this is great why does it hurt yeah you know that that is something i've, I've talked to everybody about um i had my friend felix mounds on here we talked about the idea of making it and how that that's something that gets thrown at you a lot like oh this person, this is when this person made it. Oh, uh, they finally made it. That's a phrase that really has no, no definition. What, what is making it, you know? And, and, and I think that, you know, as much as the struggles build character, I do think that a lot of people don't, that's what the show is meant to be. It's to show that uh, it's a living document for myself as a storyteller, but showing like, you know, it, no one has the same path. No one, it, you know, there, there is no path. There, there is no path. It's like you're going on a hike, but you're just kind of, oh, I don't need the map. It's so hard to, you know, where you begin, but you don't know where the story is going to end. And so, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, and also this is another little bit of behind the scenes. This is not even because of what one of your podcasts is about. I call this segment unofficially. It has always been called Twin Sons. Gee, I'm wondering what I'm referring to. Ken, how did your storytelling journey begin? How did you begin this long road? How did you begin? What, mm. what made you know that you want to talk into a mic and talk to people? You want to be creative. What what started that for you? Uh, early, early on, about three, two, three, four years old, my dad used to sit me in front of a reel-to-reel -reel and we'd, we'd improv stories into a microphone. Okay. And 
actually have some of the recordings. I think I released some a little while ago and uh, it was awesome. You know, it, it wasn't something that I was like at three, like, this is great. Like, I didn't know we were just making up mm -hmm. stories, but you, you, you realize you look back, you're like, Hey, that was part of the DNA. My mom, my dad's always been, he's very funny. He's very dry, uh, very quiet, very stoic, old country mm -hmm. guy born uh, in um, uh, Austria on the way he's Russian uh, mm -hmm. or, or Ukrainian Circassian. Um, yeah. and on the way to America, he was born in Austria. So he's got that old country kind of quietness, mm -hmm. uh, which I do too, when I'm not on camera. Um, but my mom was a dancer performer, like, uh, very bubbly energy. So I, I think I got the two of that and, uh, and, and, and I didn't know where to put that. I was a horribly shy kid. And then in sixth grade, we had to do a project where we had to make commercials with a V old VCR VHS recorder. And I made a commercial, like a parody commercial. And the people in the class laughed. The girl had a crush on laughed. Suddenly I realized I could communicate to the world okay. through that kind of art. And that's where it really began. Okay. And so for you, what is it about the medium of radio and broadcast that really drew you to them? I know that that's something that started, like you said, even now it, mm -hmm. it started very early on. What, what is it? What's the allure there? Um, I think it's the immediacy. It's, it's an intimate, uh, medium. Um, you know, I, when I was about 13, 14, uh, junior high range, early high school range, again, very shy kid. And I didn't go out on Friday nights, to the football game. I didn't have parties to go to and, and didn't want to, it wasn't comfortable. So I would literally stay home in my room, listen to the radio, listen to either rock uh, oldies, uh, rock radio in my town or baseball games, Vince Scully. Mm -hmm. Uh, a A's games. I, I could get all four. I could get Giants, A's, Angels, Dodgers on my radio where I lived. Huh. Um, so listening to those broadcasters, and then I would record radio shows in my room with a boombox and a microphone mm -hmm. attached, uh, and with a clock radio to play the music, and I just record yeah. the music. And that that creates the the rhythm, the momentum, and that intimacy I'm talking about. You mm -hmm. take radio with you. Um, you take it in your car. It's your routine. I always tell the story when I did get into radio uh, when I was. 18 through 21 we had a morning show and one day we changed the time that we delivered the sports and weather and people called us upset okay. i love you guys but i, I was late for work because you <laughs> do that at 6 25 yeah. and you did it at 6 35 and i thought i had 10 i was late to work and yeah. and that just speaks it's funny but it speaks to what yeah. radio can be it's a part of your life yeah it, it becomes part of your soul you know i could i could think you know i couldn't tell you some of the some of the shows in my area, but I remember I would know exactly when we were pulling up to drop my sister off at school because, oh, the the people on the news, they have their five minute segment when they're talking about the mm -hmm. they're talking about what they were talking about, uh, like a movie. I, I would just know, OK, we're going to be rounding this corner and they're going to be talking about the second news story. And I just, it yeah. always would just work out that way. And can yeah. am I correct that you grew up in Pismo Beach, California? Is that correct? Or around yeah, the area? Yeah, yeah, around there. Technically, I lived in Arroyo Grande, uh, but Pismo, the five cities of Central Coast California, about an hour and a half uh, north of Santa Barbara. But yeah, yeah, I was there, and I was okay. on the radio in in Pismo Beach. I was gonna say that's a place that holds a, a special place in my heart for my family, and I we used to go there every summer. My and I realize more more so now, like as a as an older man uh, that I am, uh, even though I'm, I. I I'm like a 76 year old man trapped in a young man's body. Uh, you yeah. talking about, you know, not going to the games, things like that. That was the same thing with me just being like, well, I, I got to go watch new episode of pretty much it. Or uh, actually uh, the, 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 the collisions this Friday. So I, I don't know if I can go. Uh, sorry, boys. I can't go the, to this thing. I got to go watch someone defend a title. Uh, <laughs> so 
when you made that decision that you were going to leave the that area, you know, you're going to you're going to go to the bright lights, the big city, Hollywood, you're going to go there for, you know, go picture. Uh, What was the general consensus of the people that you knew? Was it when you told them, like, I'm that's where I'm going? What what was that reaction like? I think my close my close friends uh, were excited. T- two of them had moved down prior uh, down being L.A., uh, the San Fernando Valley. They were go- one was going to CalArts. The other one was going to CSUN uh, to study screenwriting. And so, yeah, I, I was following suit um, with them. But my other friends in town were excited. Uh, I had lost my radio job and was working in a movie theater. And that was kind of the impetus of like, all right, that, that's time. It's time yeah. to go chase the dreams. Uh, yeah. My parents were very supportive, but like a lot of parents, they're very overprotective. They were a little worried, but it's sad. But it was I, I moved out at 22, uh, which is late for some, early for others. So it was a good age for me. Good time. Uh, I can fully understand that. Uh, you know, I, I moved for college and then there was that uh, a novel pandemic that kind of kicked yeah. me back home for a little bit yeah. so uh and then you know i'm when i finally moved back down here i was at that 22 23 range but yeah. you know those pesky pandemics don't you just love them uh, uh you know it, it changed a lot of things <laughs> still oh yeah hey that's that's why we're here right now i probably wouldn't know about Streamyard if uh my yeah. my friend in the pod father uh jonathan london wasn't doing geekscape on yeah. these things uh right. and also yeah. i mean showdowns where if i remember correctly didn't you guys use something similar to Streamyard for some I of those online showdowns they did i definitely know they started with Streamyard, and then they mm-hmm. there was another system they were using i don't know i, I yeah. by then i wasn't behind the scenes as much but yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely okay so we've, we've talked about all these facets that create you that make up kin the storyteller mm-hmm. but in your eyes what what are you as a storyteller? What what do you look at? Is, you know, we've talked about how you have mm-hmm. your hands and many pots. You know, there's there's so many things like what when you mm-hmm. tell someone that you are a storyteller, what what exactly do you mean or that you're creative? What mm-hmm. how do you view yourself in that light? I think where I am right now is what the, the what I'm trying to get across is is and it's in a lot of the stand up sets I do. It's a line I say that is uh, uh, do not fight change. Find your place in change. Uh, this came about because uh, my pal, Joseph Scrimshaw, you know, from Force Center, very insightful, great mm-hmm. storyteller and performance uh, artist himself. We were talking about comedy and we were talking about mm-hmm. some co- comedians in particular, one that may or may not have been in a space show about a little baby Yoda. Um, and he was like, you know, I get it. He's a great comic, but he's kind of got this energy that is I'm right and the world is wrong and and i don't know if that works for me and, it, and i heard that and and that's right where i was where i had been that way even back in the schmoes news um where it's like i'm being the funny snarky one you're all wrong or you're all doing stupid things and i'm gonna kind of tear down versus build up and comedy does kind of work that way it's a, it, yeah. easier sometimes anger can be funny um so now my approach in anything not just comedy but what it's it's the world is changing I want to be part of that change in my own way. Um, and, and that's where uh, my point of view is and my perspective is. Okay. And so to uh, to start to sift through the many layers of Ken the Storyteller, Ken, we mentioned that we mentioned one of the greatest of all time. For some, he is the greatest of all time. Brett the Hitman Hart, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. <laughs> and I want to know, why do you, how did, how did your big, I, I always love hearing, I didn't get into wrestling till I was uh, 17 years old. Uh, so I've mm-hmm. only, so I've been a fan for about six years. And in that yeah. six years, besides film and comic book, professional wrestling is my favorite storytelling medium. I, I love professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. What drew you to it as a fan? 
And then how did you make that leap to becoming, am I pronouncing this correctly? Text honey. I, I wouldn't. Text honey. Okay. I've only ever read it. Uh, Tech, and, yeah. and actually I watched a little clip uh, <laughs> not too long ago, but uh, how, how, how yeah. tell me, Ken, how did you get in there? How did you yeah. get text? Text, man. The last scion of the great Southern promoters. Uh, what a, Awesome. Yeah. So early as a kid, um, so I was born in 76, so early 80s, right around that wrestling explosion, the expansion that was going on with the yes. the, the Fed from the north taking over and breaking the territories. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I got caught up in that. I used to watch the whole Hogan cartoon on Saturday mornings and mm. all that stuff. The rock and wrestling question connection. I wasn't allowed to watch MTV, but I knew about. So, yeah, from mm. there. And then there was this point. Um where my dad and uncle loved it his brother uh, loved it but they got they let me know hey you know it's 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 a, it's a work we'll, we'll use that they didn't use that term they used that mm. other f word yes, but they used the f word and i was like nine or ten and i was like gypped i was like what are you talking about and i turned my back on it then about high school freshman year i heard the british bulldog david boy smith was back as a solo wrestler he was one of my favorites i love the bulldogs so i started watching a good friend of mine who uh, fortunately since passed away my friend gavin he was a big wrestling fan and we used to watch and then i met my other friend uh joel who he he was a big wrestling fan and he wanted to become the canadian cowboy he wanted to go to wrestling school and become the canadian cowboy because he was from red deer alberta canada and we actually ended up having a wrestling federation in his front yard flat flash awesome. forward i moved i moved to la i was a fan of it uh, in and out of watch. And I don't watch it regularly mm -hmm. right now. I actually didn't watch a lot of the Attitude Era because that's around the time I moved to L.A. I watched the mm -hmm. start of it. And then we had one TV in our apartment. Those were the Bad old stuff. days. I couldn't just watch things on my phone. Uh, mm -hmm. So not everyone in our apartment loved wrestling. So I just kind of drifted away. Got back into it. A friend of mine who I worked with in my day job uh, was a young wrestler, but also a young entrepreneur and had a independent wrestling company in Southern California called Millennium Pro Wrestling. Uh, okay. He wrestled as Lethal, Lethal Logan X. Um and we got to talk and we got to become fr friends, real close friends. And um, there was some thing I did, some comedy thing I did where I was fighting the bosses of our company. They kind of gypped us on money. I made a video where I basically cut a promo and character on our bosses. And he says, yeah, you need to come do wrestling with me. And I started out as a manager with him in uh, 2001, okay. early 2001. Yeah. Okay. So for you, looking back on it now, did you – did it give you what you wanted when you had that idea of, you know, did you get satisfaction out of it creatively? Do you feel like there were some stones that you left unturned? And is it anything, is there some, is there some part of you that thinks that text with, with how lively the independent scene is now, do you think there's any chance text could get some blue chip prospect to uh, the title? Text could text could. Um, I came back uh, for anniversary show in like 2019. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, I took a, a DDT from Peter, pretty Peter Avalon. Uh, I sold it the worst. No, I actually, no, no, I, to, to, I, I uh, did a, I'm, I'm messing up my own story. I did, I gave mm -hmm. him a stone cold stunner, the okay. worst stunner in the history of the world. But Peter Avalon is a pro and he sold it like a champion. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I sometimes think about it. I think there's a lot mm -hmm. of, it's, it's a commitment. The, the biggest thing I left on the table is, um, and, and it's a theme in my life is I kind of get, because I am this little shy kid who's not very sure of his place in the world still, um, I kind of feel like I don't belong. So even if I feel I'm good at something, there's a voice in my head that says, ah, yeah, but you should only stick to the, the rivers you know. And, and because MPW, Millennium Pro Wrestling, uh, was was my home in the early 2000s, I only did matches with there. I didn't, I didn't seek mm -hmm. anything else out. And if I had done that and got over that, and got the respect and knowledge and people around me just knew me more outside of this one little fed where I was a manager. 
uh, in a in a corner. Uh, that would have good. That would have been something different. Might have happened. And then, long story short, the, the Fed shut down for a long while because Millennium mm -hmm. Pro Wrestling shut down. Uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla started. Um, the, okay. the original six were wrestling for us: Excalibur, okay. Super Dragon, um, all that 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 gang. Mm -hmm. Um, we came back in 2010 and it was going to be a one special one-off anniversary charity show featuring Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, which yeah. did happen. And I was yeah. in the ring with Piper. Uh, and then we had so much fun and we sold out the venue that we decided we did it for four years. And then I was helping run the company and booking and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, too, there was people around us. Uh, Johnny LaQuasto, I've known uh -huh. from comedy, but Johnny, Johnny and I used to have a feud. He was the owner. I was the manager. Kathy Kelly's first wrestling show was there. Mm -hmm. uh, Okay. Um, and I, I have actually had parts of it on, on tape. I was, I was a messenger recently. Like, I think I got, I think I got your first wrestling <laughs> show. I got to find it. Um, and all these people want to, uh, Ryan Smiley, uh, uh, Ryan, Ryan Katz, GQ, uh, uh, GQ money. Um, he, that was the last fed he worked for before he went to the, to the fed, uh, to become Dusty's right-hand man. Okay. I'm not saying I could have achieved that success and you yeah. know, I'm sexy, but I'm not Kathy Kelly talented. <laughs> um, but, but, I could have developed it, but I didn't. I stopped short. I stopped short. And mm -hmm. and that's the blood on the on the tracks that I, I didn't leave. Um, and that's that's where I had fun. I was good. I had fun doing it. Pro wrestling is an amazing art form. It's a wonderful you talk about being fulfilled, and I'm sorry I'm rambling. I'm blathering. No, you're fine. Um it's one of my favorite storytelling art forms. It, it's mm -hmm. it's a, when it works, it connects, it it's it feels like almost like nothing else I've done. Yeah. Uh, as someone who who is in this room and then my girlfriend works out in the living room uh there no you know i i love movies that's my first love no movie has me screaming so loud that she can hear me with headphones on while she's at work and she goes oh jay white must have been on screen oh kenny must have been on screen you know kenny omega she she knows you know no storytelling media medium can really i think just, just pull that out uh yeah and so to segue you, you know, so we have the wrestling background and then you enter something else that is very much built on the back of uh, professional wrestling. That is the movie trivia showdown for people that don't know that it was a competitive movie trivia league that took the, the storylines, the character work, the promos from professional wrestling and mixed it with like the competition, the training, the, uh, the ranking system of uh, like a UFC, uh, and it was, you know, that was something that I, I was there. I watched that first one live on that was part of the show. That was part of the podcast. I watched every iteration uh, and it really meant a lot to me that around 2019 or so, my my mom and I was still back home. Uh, it was in between college semesters and my mom. Uh, I, I specifically remember there was a a funeral for uh, her aunt and she you know that that woman meant a lot to my my mom meant a lot to all of us aunt iva and uh so my my mom was she walked into my room and i remember exactly what was on it was mike kalinowski versus uh rachel the crusher cushing san diego comic-con uh inner geekdom match and she watched <laughs> yeah. that and it, it just she had walked in on other matches and like oh maybe maybe i know that question yeah, she that, walks yeah. in on that one and she sits down and she i think for like you know, it went like an hour. She she wasn't thinking about you know the mm. what what had just happened, and so I I I love that that was something that we got a bond over. And the you know, Schmodown recently uh, wrapped up. Did you feel like the Schmodown scratched any sort of creative itch for anything that you didn't get to do in wrestling? Did it sort of fill that void? You know that you had 
kind of stepped away from like what did it mean for you when you were doing it mm. yeah um yeah I, i'm gonna be honest with you i had some ups and downs with it over the years um re related to things just outside of the schmodown but at the end of the day it was always fun and i thought it was really fun and you, you talk about the early days me and sack off in the first like official yes. official match and it absolutely scratched an itch and it was part of the genius of it and i give uh harloff will always give christian harloff the credit for putting together this really a wonderful fun entertaining at times addictive kind of video and i mean that in a good way of just like yeah. exactly what you're describing and it means a lot to hear that for an hour your mom got some some peace in, in a troubling time out of it and and um uh, harloff and those that helped build it knew what they were doing and, and and a lot of people around christian you know weren't sure if this is what he should be doing but no it worked for pro wrestling people like trivia people love yeah. movie trivia let's put it together and the people that got it, the performers that got it, uh, you know, helped build it. I think it, it it went places that it wasn't in the beginning. I enjoyed some of the sillier stuff. The the yeah. rise and fall of JT Doc uh, was my favorite thing ever produced out of Schmodown. And that was kind of the peak of the comedy approach to it. Not yes. that the comedy didn't exist going forward, but it was good. And 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 it did scratches, scratch itches. And, and I'll pitch it back to you here in a second. But like one of the things that I ended up loving to do and do for the the league and and and, and at times I'm not saying I was doing favors for Harloff. He was doing favors for us, but he, I, I knew, I, I knew what I needed to do for him as, mm -hmm. a, as a storyteller. Uh, I, I feel like I cut a good promo, but the reason is I knew, I knew what needed to be said to, to advance the stories, to advance the changes in the stories. Cause you could not control the outcomes. I can tell you from, from firsthand experience, there was a lot of matches that did not go the way Harloff or any of the, the leaders wanted it to go, you know? Like if this yeah. person, we've got years of storytelling. Oh, they lost. What are we going to do? So if that, if I was involved in that match, being yeah. a post-match promo for me could help carve the next path forward and, and building up the people who were not only a managing, but building up the people were fighting. That's one of the things I think are lost in a lot of promos and at times we're lost in showdown promos. Mm -hmm. And, and that was fun. So that took me back to the wrestling days without a doubt. And it would, that those are the moments I love the most. I can tell you from from that fan perspective, uh, no no greater heartbreak than when one of my favorite competitors, and he was super hot at the time. I thought we were going to see the first ever three belted champion, and, and Christian. I know Christian has talked about this that you know Mike Kalinowski. He was really hoping that he would, you know, we would get Mikey three belts maybe, and mm -hmm. we that that didn't happen. And and but it was it was still it yeah. pivoted, and then you have Jeff Schneider one of the biggest yeah. heels in the division, all of a sudden he gets the biggest baby. He He's like Brett mm -hmm. in Canada. All of a sudden he, everyone loves him. Everyone's, you know, wants him to be Paulo Yama. I remember that match very well. He almost did it. That's just the beauty of it. it it's whereas wrestling is a work and, you know, uh, barring injuries or anything like that, you can usually steer things where you want to go. But yeah, in the Schmodown, it was a lot more on the fly. It was, yeah. If, if this team loses, um, mm -hmm. we have to change things. And, and, you know, I very much enjoy it. You know, I remember your heel turn. I remember your Iron Man match with Sam Whitworth. Those are, and I remember your time with corruption. I was a, a big corruption head, uh, you know. And so I, I look back fondly on those times. Tying all this, uh, continuing to tie this all together, live performance seems to be something that is, it's always in there, whether you're doing a live stream, whether it's your stand up comedy, whether it's Schmodown, radio, wrestling, all these different things. Live performance is a big part of your life. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you talked about this performance that you did back in sixth grade. You got a good, you know, response from everybody. What 
do you have to do you deal with anxiety when you're on stage? You know, I I get anxious doing these things and they're remote. Um, how do you walk the line, especially as another way I can relate is I'm incredibly shy. Uh, I've always been shy. My sister and I, that's always something people would tell my mom, like, oh, your kids are so shy. And so I'm wondering how you how you juxtapose being in front of all these people, a lot of the time strangers, and also being a shy sort of mm-hmm. reserved person. Yeah, and I've gotten better over the years without a doubt. I mean, look at me. I'm wearing pink beanies now. I used to never no. do stuff like that. Um, it, it's twofold. It, it, do I get nervous and stuff? Not really, but there's an energy to it. I'm also inherently lazy, so I'd rather just do things live. And if we gotcha. mess up, it, you, you know, if you want to edit stuff out, edit stuff out. I'm going to control as best I can what I say anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't mind an uh here and there. I, I'm lazy. I don't want to do mm-hmm. research. Let's just do it live. Uh, radio was fun for that too. Um, so there's an end, and it's a it's it's a high wire act, and and I enjoy that. But going back to what we were saying earlier, yeah, I, I am still inherently shy. I am definitely stoic, and definitely you know I I joke, but at times boring. You know, one of my creative icons in my life is Steve Martin. I've never had the chance to meet mm-hmm. him, but like everyone that I know that has, I know a few. They're like, he's kind of boring. <laughs> he's he's a gentleman. He's sweet. Yeah. He just wants to sit there and think and talk about art and just think. And I'm not that. Um, but when I'm on stage, uh, if I'm doing it right or the moment, if it's all working, like I said earlier, when, when I learned how I could communicate to my sixth grade class, art is how I talk to the world. And the real me comes out in that. Um, it's a processed, sometimes character version. Even now, I'm playing somewhat of a character. I'm Ken on yeah, a podcast. Yeah. Um, but that's how I speak to the world when it doesn't work. And often stand up is the biggest arena where I fall more than other times because I get a little inside my head and I don't feel as though I belong there. And I don't feel as though I should be talking to the world. And I feel as though everyone else in the room, especially the comics are going to be like, aha, you're a fake. Uh, And that happened in wrestling too. In the early days, wrestling's tough. First Mm -hmm. night I was in a, in a, in a locker room for wrestling uh, match. The guy, Excuse me, the guy I was managing runs at me and just clotheslines me as hard as he can. And I just kind of went like this, and he goes, all right, uh-huh. cool, you took it, you can manage me. Okay. And, you know, I messed up in 2010, I messed up at a match, blew a spot, and one of the guys, our opponent, took a chair to my head and and, and gave me the massive, most massive chair shot uh, my friend who'd been in business 30 years had ever seen, and mm-hmm. cut my head open, swollen head, bad. Um yeah. And when I kind of, my friend who was the owner, when I asked him, I was like, he's like, did he get you good? I was like, yeah. He goes, cool. Well, now you learned about pro wrestling. That's what it's like. So I, a lot of times felt I didn't belong there. And that led to some mm-hmm. moments where the, the, you know, none of all that. Yeah. Live energy. It, it goes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, it's different from when I'm in a standup. If I bought, there's nights where I bomb or it doesn't mm-hmm. work and there's six people in the audience and it doesn't connect. That's different from the nights where I've been up there and on stage, I think, they all know the truth. I'm a 12-year-old kid who doesn't belong here. So that that energy that you mentioned, it, do you think that, that is, that's kind of what shifts you into the, the heightened version of yourself? You know, like I, back when I was in high school, I was choir president and I had to go out in front of these concerts and I had to talk to people. And, you know, my, my uh, counterpart, she wasn't super comfortable talking to people. And so I was like, well, I'm nervous, but I got to do something. So I would just, you know, she would want to plan things and I would just, I always go out there and then somehow I would say the most eloquent, like, Oh man, what a, what a swell guy. Like I, and then even on this podcast, you know, and, and in, in general, I guess in my social media presence, I refer to myself as 
the guy. I, I it's a it's more of a character. It's more of a mantra. It's more of a, a catchphrase. Um, and so, uh, is that would you say that that energy is kind of what you're talking about? That you tap into that, and that's yeah. when you just become Ken the the performer. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, me being hey, I'm Ken on a podcast isn't a character. You're getting the real me, but it's 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 um. It, it, it there's hopefully an energy to it, hopefully a performance to it. I, I, I think that nowadays entertainment is one of the good things about it, whether it be a TikTok, a vlogger, an influencer, or anything of that stuff. And we can make fun of some of that stuff, but there's a skill in doing what they do. I have a tough time just sitting down and flipping my phone around and going, hey, guys, I'm at the store. I, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, as good as some others do it but i think what i do that they don't do is 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 actually give a performance and every interview is is a form of entertainment someone's listening to this and hopefully getting something out of it but someone's listening to this and hopefully uh passing the time in a good way so that's i i tap into that energy so it's not fake it's just amped up it's it's the cameras are on the lights are on uh you yeah. should perform you know i i i listed off all your your many titles uh i'm curious about something this kind of just popped in my head this is tangentially related is yeah. you host many podcasts if someone was to ask you right now can how many podcasts do you host do you have an exact number do you do you consider the blathering and the blathering conversations the one one in the same how if someone yeah. just asked you point blank do you have a number ready to shoot at them I, I i would say right now it's at four uh and i and i would joke and say that maybe it's too many um mm. and there's some truth to that but what you said up top, I think you said your friend said, is I don't like to contain myself. Uh, and even if it hurts, Force Center's going on 10 years. That's not yeah. going away. The strikes, uh, uh, you know, hampered our ability to talk about Star Wars because we're yeah. SAG and SAG eligible members. Um, but other center emerged and other center's going to stick around. Uh, if I just did that and that could and I could find a way to explode that out into something that pays all the bills instead of 50% mm -hmm. of the bills, that might be a good thing to do. And that might be what I recommend to people, but I would get bored. And that's why I have the knapsack files became uh Saturday night knapsack, which kind of began the knapsack network and the blathering blathering conversations. Uh, casterly talk uh, strike affected that too, but I want to talk game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. Um, we talked Willow for a while. I wanted to do that. I wanted mm -hmm. to do it on the channel. Uh, I launched a baseball pack podcast a few years ago. Cause I was a big baseball fan. I still am, but I kind of pulled, got out of it a little bit. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do a podcast. I had some great ideas. Um, and it was one step too many. I had to admit that I failed. I, I, I shouldn't have launched. I have pop rock and radio, which is uh, my radio show on Saturday nights and all through the week. I'm on radio in Pennsylvania. I, I have uh, after right we're done here, I have to do my shift. Yeah. I have to track my voices. And then I'm, I'm launching another one in two yeah. weeks. Uh, okay. At the time of the recording, I'm launching a political world events show with my friend, Alden Diaz, um, okay. because I want to. Yeah. And that's going to be okay for me as an answer. I, I love that answer. As someone, you know, I'm I'm two years into the podcast game, not just a guy started this year, but I used to have a, a pop culture podcast. Uh, and I I quickly kind of got burnt out on it. Not just it just too many things going on. Uh, almost a year ago, I, I asked you to be on a different podcast <laughs> I was doing. It was a comic book based. That one, I recorded one episode, never even got it released. Uh, mm -hmm. I just, I wasn't feeling it. Um, and something I, I'm curious, you know, you have all these podcasts. For you, how do you make sure that they don't they don't bleed together, that they, they remain their own things besides just music and artwork? What mm -hmm. what kind of energy do you think you bring to each of them? Or what what do you actively do to make them all stand on their own. Someone doesn't, you know, someone that's not like me that doesn't listen to the blathering and other center and casterly talk. Uh, mm -hmm. What, what for mm -hmm. you, what do you actively think you uh, makes a difference? Yeah. 
Um, I, I there each show seems to have their own ecosystem. Uh, you know, Four Center is kind of a different, not again, not a different version or a fake version, but it's a it's a more quieter, thoughtful, um, celebratory version of me. It's a it's a cleaner version of me on Four Center. We try to make sure we have a general audience vibe uh, in terms of the words we say and the stories we tell. So that kind of becomes a certain thing. And and I don't get a lot of crossover. I should certainly cross promote all the things I do. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of Four Center, hey, follow me here. I got a comedy album. I'm doing this. I'm gonna check out the. But uh, it seems like um, I try to create. You know, blathering became blathering emerged for me. I put a lot of work into a show called Saturday Night Napsack, which was almost every word was written. It was kind of a radio parody show, a radio satire, political satire show. Loved it. It's one of the favorite things I've done in my own career. Not a lot of people were listening to it. It was taking all the work in the in the world to put it out. And and um, whether it was just some of my changing political views or just the fact that I was talking politics was offending or, or not offending, but just mm-hmm. that's yeah. not what they signed up for me. That was that was the guy who talked Star Wars. Now he's doing this. Um, yeah. so I got it. But the blathering emerged from, you know, F it. I'm going to open up this microphone. I know what I'm going to talk about. And mm-hmm. so that's a different kind of energy ecosystem. Casually talking, it's in four center, kind of the same guy. But um, yeah, I don't. So I don't wake up and think, all right, this microphone today is pop rock and radio. It's just a different. <laughs> it's just different gear shift. You know what I mean? Mm. I I I love that, and yeah, and I think that very much does come across. You know, I was I was catching up on some of the blatherings, and you know, you had one that was talking about uh, September 11th, and even though it was off the cuff, there was a there was a narrative that you told. There was a beginning, middle, and end. How you were talking about all mm. these different the facets around that day. Um, and, and I think that it very much comes through that, that, that you are, you're never phoning them in and you're, you're putting in just, there's different, you're touching a different part of your, your brain, basically, you know, utilizing a different part. And, um, and so I, can I be remiss? Even my, my, my mom even sent in a question for this part. Uh, we got to talk, I, you know, I, we're going to talk around it as we are in the strikes, but the the space battles, the, that place Mm -hmm. far, far away, Mm -hmm. um, you come back and I got to commend you for this. You Scrimshaw, Jennifer, I got I got to commend you all for this. You come back week after week where there is a vocal minority uh, in this online fandom that just gets louder and louder and more toxic. And yet you all three persevere. You, you always keep it positive in the sense that, you know, you're not telling anybody you're wrong for liking this one, or you, you know, you will, you'll give your criticisms. I think that that's something I, I don't like when I see people misunderstand the, the uh, mission statement of the, the show. It's not, you know, you guys aren't just, you know, you're not just saying you like everything that that's not what the show is. Uh, that was uh, recently, recently something I saw on Twitter. It was whatever. But what what is it that brings you back every week? You know, you yeah. you you guys just come back every week. What is it that that brings you back to talk about that that yeah. place? I saw that thing you were talking about on Twitter. I was home and I was very angry and I almost jumped into the conversation. Um, <laughs> uh, we can talk off air. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of yeah, we celebrate four centers nine years running. We're coming up on ten years. Uh, in terms of our broadcast years, we started in 2015, but our 10th broadcast season is beginning in January. Mm-hmm. And um, for most of that, for a lot of that, we did four episodes a week. Um, and there's l- lately be, the strikes kind of forced us to pause. We decided, mm-hmm. I should say, this is what we wanted to do. We wanted to stand by these unions. Also, again, I, I think we need to make it clear to our, even some of our own listeners. Jen is in SAG. 
I am what's mm -hmm. called SAG eligible. And Joseph is an independent film producer who has SAG contracts. We had to stop. Yes. It was not a question uh, for us. Um, so we did it. Um, but all that to say, what brings me back, it's changed over the years. Force Center mm -hmm. started because Jedi Alliance was kind of a great thing that I love doing, but I knew it was kind of wrapping up and I wanted to talk about Star Wars on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't working at Collider. That other people weren't letting me on their shows regularly. And it was uh, fun. I love Star Wars. I grew up with it. I also love poking fun at it. It's not all perfect. Some of it's weird. Uh, I used to not like the prequels. Now I absolutely love the prequels. Yeah. But in the way there, there's let's make fun. Let's have fun. Do you like TIE Fighters? Do you like X-Wings? That's what brought me to the table. Over the years, it's changed. Post, and, and I, I don't mind mentioning this. We can talk around it, and I respect what you're doing, but I don't mind here. I don't think it's scabbing by saying The Last Jedi era, a movie, yeah. I loved, a movie that challenged me, and then all of a sudden I found myself in that movie. That era, the toxicity that emerged, not just in fandoms, but also around the world. Um, it just opened up with what was already always there. Uh, I wanted to dig deeper. I wanted to find out. Uh, this it, it was not that I was I was fighting against people that didn't like the movies. Mm. Um, I was there were some moments that I had missed that in talking about them with Joseph and Jennifer, that the first time I saw them, I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't, I shut my mind and soul off to that moment because I just wanted to be the snarky movie guy. And I mm. told, I don't know if I liked it. And then not only did I like it, it moved me. Yeah. When I analyzed the themes, when I found what was there in those stories for me to connect to. And yes, I'll do a drive-by pass by some of the things you're talking about. Force Center is positive. Force Center is celebratory. Um, if anyone says, tweets, or thinks that we don't have criticisms or that we just blindly love it all, um, they're not listening. They're not. Mm -mm. And if they're listening to the show and that's what they get, they're not understanding what we're doing. Um mm -hmm. What brings me back, the final big thing now, I always say this, I say this, I was at a party last night and I said this to someone. Um, I don't care if you like the sequel trilogy or not. We can discuss it. You might have good reasons why. Not everyone who mm -hmm. dislikes the things are some kind of alt-right troll. Um, but I'm here to defend the five-year-old girl dressed as Ray at a convention. You don't get to take away her joy. And the show I'm doing is to celebrate all kinds of people who are drawn to this franchise and drawn to different aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Again, not everything's perfect. I'll tell you, <laughs> Ahsoka is not my favorite show. It, okay. I did not stick to it like other people mm -hmm. did. Um, okay. um, but I love the Book of Boba Fett, one of my yeah. favorite shows. So, but that's because there's things in it. So I'll mm -hmm. say that's what keeps bringing me back. And when we're when the strikes are over and we're ready to dive in, I'm excited to approach Star Wars again uh, mm -hmm. in this new era. And do those same things. I'm not just going rah, 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 Star Wars, stuff it in my mouth. I'm going Star mm -hmm. Wars has changed lives. It's affected lives. It is our modern mythology. Let's engage with it on that. Let's celebrate that and defend the rights of all those people who enjoy it in that way. I All that, I love hearing all that. And and it's why I'm looking forward to, you know, once, once the studios rightfully uh, pay their actors, uh, I'm why well, I'm excited that you guys have had this this sort of break that has come through um, it, that, you know, through circumstance that, you know, that were out of your guys's hands. Um, and I have to say, you know, I, and I would say this to Jennifer and I would say this to Joseph uh, force center has meant a lot to me, you know, as a kid that, like I said, when I it was around 12, 13, 14, I start getting into the online movie community. And, and I, I, I remember those times as a 24 year old man, I remember the internet telling me to, Oh, that, that trilogy you liked as a kid, you have to hate it now. I remember that. I remember that. And people can 
can scrub history. They can change it. They can retcon their, their views on it. I remember those times. I remember being, I, there were some, some Joe Schmoes that were uh, talking about not liking those things. And now, you know, the, that's their, that's what they want. Um, and, and then we, and it, it's funny enough, I didn't start with Force Center until about 2019. Um, and, and, you know, I watched you on General Alliance Council, all those different things. But, you know, I, I hadn't yet gotten to uh, listen to podcasts on my phone, which I do probably too much now. Uh, and uh, and you, you guys gave me something that I needed, which was I, you know, I, I could not. I, I love the sequel trilogy. You know, I was 16 when it started. And it's mm-hmm. just and, and it just is compounded. It's just this ongoing negativity i again mm-hmm. there was a, a live show that was m- on the mornings quite often that i watched on youtube that also very much was, was i won't get into that it was just very much was against that and, and so i think at a point i just had to i stepped back from so much i don't i don't watch a lot of those movie reviewers i don't watch all these things i just had to step back because it was like how I, I don't need every day to be told i'm a, a fool for liking this thing or i'm not a real fan of something uh, and so then I found uh, Four Center, or I finally listened to it, uh, and it was at a time when I, my friend and I, we were illegally evicted from our apartment, uh, that school housing mm-hmm. setup, and we were split up, and I was by myself a lot, and I would mm-hmm. go to this rinky-dink gym in the horrible place that they sent us to live, and I was like, I had, I had seen The Rise of Skywalker, uh, and again, to this day, I still have people for some reason yelling about at me for liking it and i could care less but having having you three there to like let's let's this is the biggest thing that that i want to hone in on and and it's why i got out of the the pop culture podcast space and it's why whenever i guest on geekscape things i talk about i talk about i i don't like talking about the easter eggs i don't like talking about what's next i don't i don't i speculate responsibly but I don't like to uh, that, that that gives me truly gives me nothing. I get nothing out of it mm-hmm. for I love that you guys talk about the why that that that's you. You guys heavily influenced my previous podcast, Masters of the Media. I even said at the top, it was a show about uh, we go into the why of the stories we love. Um, why do you think it is gotten so lost in the shuffle to talk about what these stories are actually saying, not what they're setting up, not what you read into them? Why do you think that has become just it's become buried under everything else? Look, man, you, my, my answer earlier of me, yeah, I'm kind of struggling. This is something I, I, I wrestle with daily uh, to the point of anger. Mm-hmm. Some shows you're probably passing by and referencing that make me angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, make me angry um, in a way of they're succeeding in terms of what's – you asked earlier what's success. Um, I don't necessarily think it's views and clicks and money, but, man – that wouldn't hurt right now, right? Yeah, as, yeah. as Colin and Kyle heard in the sports bar- broadcaster always says, money can't buy happiness, but it can sure put down a down payment. Um, yeah. I'd love to have that down payment for just food, yeah. right? Um, I wrestle with this, but I, I, I try to focus, I'm trying to focus less on my anger and mm-hmm. something that you've probably maybe heard if, if you listen to any blatherings recently or some of the stuff I've done where show up for the people who show up for you. So right now in our society, what is what is not valued is understanding, uh, literacy of media, literacy of news, uh, lies spread faster than this. And, and there's a lot of grifters in this space. And I don't mean they wake up every day and think, how can I create something that's going to draw in money? Yeah. The grift is just the anger. It's so much easier. Again, I don't have a, a, a there's not a perfect Star Wars project out there for me other than 
the closest might be Empire. And I always say, mm -hmm. but always sometimes I used to fast forward during the Cloud City stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> as a kid, it's not all yeah. perfect. Um, but what it, what it means and the why. And if you can, uh, uh, you talk about the Easter eggs and everything. All oh, this is great. I'm friends with Alex and Molly Damon. Love Star Wars Explained. Yeah. And that's how Damon I found well. them. I, I wanted to know that stuff. But even mm -hmm. Alex will tell you now, we talk all the time. We're friends. He said, "Force I force center changed me. All that stuff doesn't mean as much to me. It's what it's about, what it's saying. Yeah. And it wasn't just. It's not fun for me. I think I think it's an empty pursuit. It's empty calories to have these pr predictions to only do Easter egg. If you listen to a lot of these Easter egg channels, just wrote for one recently, and I used to was at odds with some of the creative leads. Uh, uh, Sixty Easter eggs from this episode of Ahsoka is great. Love it because I miss fifty nine of them anyways because I'm watching mm -hmm. other things. That doesn't mean you understand it, and yeah. I get none of your connection to it. So if you and I right we're now we're doing a podcast of a hundred Easter eggs in Star Wars, great. But what do we feel about it? Yeah. What, what do we take? How does it go into our lives? Star Wars has changed my lives over the years in different eras, and especially recently. A lot of my changes, and I keep using the word political, but it's not just about political parties or voting. Mm. How I view at the world and how I try to lead with empathy and compassion in a way I used to never do comes mm. from Star Wars, comes from the text, yeah. and not from an Easter egg, not from a what if all that kind of stuff. And it started yeah. to change for me with The Last Jedi because I had a lot of predictions of what I thought Luke should do. And when he didn't do it, I walked out of it. I was fortunate enough to go to premiere and I was fortunate enough to sit around some cool people. And we all kind of went, I don't know. But instead yeah. of whipping out my phone and tweeting my thoughts, I sat with it for five days and I realized I didn't want this for Luke's ending. Now yeah. I know I needed it. And, yeah. and I'm not saying everyone has to come to that conclusion because it meant something to me. I engaged yeah. with it. But the problem is, man, that's, that takes a little bit of work, and it's just so easy to make everything a binary competition. Uh, we, we, we love competition, especially in America. We love to win. But we forget that I'm a sports fan. We forget that even if you're competing, the journey to get to a championship is the important thing. The championship yeah. is the bonus, but we, I think as a culture fo focus on the win and the win is, can I name 85 Easter eggs? Can my prediction come true? Or can I tell you that Reva, a black actor <laughs> ruined the story for two white men, the subtext yeah. of that statement. I, Cause that's, that's going to get the views, not yeah. what the story was. And that's, and you can, you can hear Garrett, I'm getting upset. I'm getting upset. <laughs> Moving that, around the chair. Yeah, that doesn't turn into actual currency. Yes. But I think we're all better off if we engage with that way. Yes. And, you know, I, I'm happy that, yeah, I I think even you saying that made me hone in on the, the last Jedi was, I think, my my breaking point in a good way. I, I adore that film. And I remember my buddy and I, uh, I'm, so I'm from Porterville, California. At the time I was living mm -hmm. there. Uh, we were in a town, we had to go, we went to the better theater. Our, our theory is the best. Yeah. Uh, so we went to a, a neighboring town about 45 minutes away. We're driving in the car. I'm having to drive. It's like 10, 10 o'clock or something like that. Pitch black. He's, he's asking me. So like, what do you think about it? Cause you know, I went in, you know, I watched all the shows that were given predictions and all those. Uh, mm -hmm. and I, I just drove and I was like, I don't know, man. And then it took me about 10 minutes to realize I got us lost in the, in pitch black. Cause I was just like, <laughs> I, I was just like, it, it kind of fundamentally broke my brain when it, when it mm -hmm. came to the speculation culture. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned the text. I, I'd be remiss again. This is something my mom wanted to know about something I want to know about. I actually have 
a signed copy about of what I'm going to ask you about, and that is your book. Uh, you wrote a book about Star Wars. What, what, uh, you know, why we love Star Wars. Uh, what made, when was the, the moment where you just knew I need to write about this and need to put pen to paper or, or fingers to keyboard. Uh, when, how did you know that it was something you needed to put out into the world? Um, desperation. Uh, here's what happened. I lost my full-time job at Collider, mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, I think February 1st, 2018, uh, up until that point, after I'd entered the workforce uh, in my, you know, 16, 17, but I, I started my full-time radio career at 18. Uh, from that point, uh, 18, to um, that moment, um, I'd never really been without a job. The last time was when I lost my radio gig. I was jobless for a while, coached a baseball team, worked at a movie theater, and decided, decided screw it, uh, I'm going to move to L.A. Okay. But I hadn't experienced that since then. And I was a... Uh, 24 hour a day, seven day a week, 365 day a year on call security director at a job I, I didn't like. I met a lot of wonderful people, a lot of friendships, relationships even emerged from that. Uh, so I don't look back on that stuff as bad, but this wasn't what I was in LA to do. I was doing comedy, I was doing stand up, but I wasn't doing that kind of stuff. Then I got screen junkies, then I got collider, I was doing it, I was doing it. Now nah, there were some problems, and da, 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 da. I can go into those details, uh, but none of them matter. I got laid off, I didn't have anything. And that can either be the freak out moment, and I did freak out, or that can be the what am I right now? What do I want to do? And I always did feel there was a book in me, um, narrative maybe, I don't know, but it just made sense. Star Wars was on the table. There were some other things I thought about doing. Uh, an old friend, Alicia Malone, had written some books for this company, Mango Publishing. Um, I had lunch with her. She said, I totally think you can do it. Let me push in contact with the editor. And because of Alicia, um, I was able to get that uh, deal mm -hmm. to write the book. Um, the topic of it was, you know, I didn't name that. That title came later on. But I just mm -hmm. I just knew it was easier for me kind of mentally to approach it as 100 separate essays, which gotcha. is what it is. And then it just became I had done a, a podcast episode on Four Center, a Spotlight Star Wars episode early on. Mm -hmm. for it was it was the 50th episode so i came up with 50 reasons i love star wars for this uh the solo show i used to do on force hunter and uh i was like well that'd be that number one that'd be a good idea for a book two i've already got 50 of them written i ended up using only like five or six of them because <laughs> it just didn't work uh and so that's where it came about so it came out of that it came out a little bit of desperation even some of the stuff i'm doing right now came out of the fact that later on, because I was kept on on Jedi Alliance on a freelance basis at Collider, then I was given, I took over the show, I should say, not given, took over the show with Emma Fife and, and Andres Cabrera, and we had some great things planned for that show. That show, I thought, I was really gonna, really proud of some things we yeah. were going to do. And three weeks into it, it all, it all went away. And so I was once again kind of like, what am I? What do I do? That led to some of the stuff I'm doing now. But in, in, in regards to the book, uh, it wasn't some lifelong dream. It was like, mm -hmm what do I want to leave behind? Right. Um, yeah. I don't talk about book as an, I'm an author legacy, but just like, what do I want to do? Do I just yeah. want to talk about other people's movies? That's fun. Four yeah. is great. It's not going away, but what else do I want to do? And mm -hmm. so I wrote about other people's movies, which might seem fun, but it was just like an actual thing to put into the world. Yeah. And that's what made me do it. Uh, again, uh, again, Ken, I have to uh, thank you in a way because I reading is one of my my favorite passions. And uh, I think that when I got to high school, I I sadly kind of fell out of love with it just because reading became an assignment. It became 
yeah, read hard. this by the, yeah, it, it just it, it just be, it, it took all the fun out of it. You know, middle yeah. school it started to get there. You know, you you know reading for points and reading for pizza parties and and you know all these things. But I still had fun with it. When yeah. I got to high school, reading wasn't fun anymore. So I wasn't doing it recreationally. I wasn't doing outside of school. It was just yeah. here's this book, read it. Um, yeah. it, and I think when it, and then college hit not too long after. So I just, I, you know, I, I stuck with my other forms of media, my comics, my movies, those things. And then in 2020, uh, obviously something happened where a lot of things yeah. shut down and I got sent back home and, uh, I, I needed something and uh, you, you ran a, um, a, a deal on the book and I got it. And, yeah. and I, I truly mean this, this isn't just me, you know, kissing butt or blowing smoke. You truly helped me reignite my passion for reading. Um, and it it started with why we love Star Wars. And then I got back into the, the canon Star Wars books. I got into uh, and it's led to this day where I'm still reading a bunch of books. Yes, many of them are Star Wars, uh, but that's just because uh, I'm a nerd. Uh, but I truly and I truly mean that that uh, your book really did help. And it really did give me a passion. Remember why I loved the printed page so much. Uh, and so I. Right here, right here, down the barrel. Thank you. I want to say thank you. Uh, hey, look, you're welcome. I'll take the compliment. I, I, I'm sorry that it was a book full of grammatical errors and a and a canon error, and there's a whole story as to why I think that was. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the wrong version was printed. Okay. <laughs> uh, I didn't find out until I got into the booth to do the VO for the book. Mm -hmm. I do the audio book version, which is where I actually had an audition to get my own book. Um, and I got in the booth, and I was like, I changed some of this. What is going, what version yeah. is this? <laughs> like, uh, so it keeps me up at night that, uh, if you're reading that book, I apologize. There's some errors in there that I thought I'd fixed. Look, I didn't notice it at the time. Maybe if I were to reread it, I would notice, uh, I, yeah, everyone's going to be looking, but, uh, yeah, everyone's going to scour every page, make sure that the canon precedes well, the emotional canon. Yeah. There, 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 there's, uh, the emotional canon is more important, but there's yeah. two big, there's, I, I misnamed a star destroyer and gotcha. I thought I, I thought I corrected that it's in the first essay, uh, mm -hmm. Avenger versus devastator. And then I, there was an actual typo where, you know, millennium Falcon is a, what a YT 1300, uh, you know, cruiser or whatever. Yeah, and it, it was in the book as YT three hundred, and so now people are always like, I've even had friends who are like, "Hey, I always saw it." I'm like, I, I, I put the right version in. It did not. Yeah. <laughs> it did not make the book. So that's a lesson. If you're going to write a book, uh, make sure the copy edited. <laughs> yeah, make sure a, a earlier version isn't used. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll make sure I remember. Uh, yeah. So, Kendall, yeah. wind down. I always do this. Uh, it's called. This is the only real segment I have. It's called not just any questions. The questions. They. Uh, it's usually around six questions they can be you can take as long as little as you want to answer them uh and they kind of touch upon everything that we've we've covered so uh i i would like to to start with ken in wrestling there's this idea that it's important that the title doesn't make the man but the man makes the title could you explain that idea for those unfamiliar and do you think that there's a way to apply that idea to dis different aspects of storytelling in life Sure. I'll say it a little bit from the, the, the standpoint of someone who helped book some wrestling. And sometimes you have to explain this to the wrestlers. The title is a prop. It's the storytelling. So that title can mean absolutely nothing if the wrong person's in it. 
Uh, It's the story to get there. It's the story Mm -hmm. to keep it. Uh, So in life, often, I think we do focus on those wins, like I said earlier, and I I get lost in it, too. I I still get lost in it. Uh, Your bank account, your numbers, uh, your views, your status. um, Those are all wonderful things. Uh, They're meaningless without the person who fills it out in the right way. Now, wrestling, sometimes storytelling could be an evil person with the title. Yes, but even that's the story. Um, And there's a lot of times you'd have to explain that to an independent wrestler who is refusing to drop the belt or refusing to lose um, in a title match. I even had the one case where a wrestler intentionally uh, locked himself in the bathroom so he would blow a spot in another match that I was managing because he was upset he was going to lose a title match later. Um, And that's one of those things. It's a prop. It means literally nothing. You're the story. And I think we can take that to our own lives. I love that. Okay, here we go. This one is... uh peeking back into the life of of teenage garrett ken in a web series grasping at straws you portrayed a character that said the line women don't like my face which i (laughs) quoted to my friends and did not get a response from just because they i have a knack for recording things that they do not know um but i think this ties into uh you know and i used it in the sense that i you know young garrett wasn't a wasn't a stud i guess um but you talked about this but being shy, struggling to assert yourself. Like just what can you offer for someone who's out there who is who is shy, who who has a hard time talking in front of people, has a hard time talking one on one with people who who maybe lacks that confidence? What can you give them someone who doesn't know where to start when it comes to just mm-hmm. talking, just being themselves, just uh, telling their stories, basically? In terms of romantic pursuits or just overall? A little bit of both. <laughs> the, obviously, I, the line. Well, yeah. Yeah, the line, the line, which I think was delivered to Eliza and uh, uh, Harlow's character, I think. Yes. Um, it's great. Uh, you, that's, there's a whole story to that line, too, by the way. Um, I, the old be yourself adage is is probably overused, and, and, and sometimes yourself is the problem, you think, in your mm-hmm. head. Um, I think um, a lot of the issues, and it, it, it's no easy answer, depression, shyness, anxiety, social anxieties, it's all real, and it's all things to be worked out. But I think sometimes it can be simple in terms of answers. And and a lot of it was just simply based out of fear for me, fear of, of this great unknown, fear of rejection, fear of um, my place. And uh, there was one particular guy, I haven't thought about this in a long time. It's a great line of questions, Garrett. Uh, um, a, a real close friend of mine, um, a girl, and there was some some mm-hmm. romantic entanglements to it, but we were friends. She brought me to, we got along great. We, we were like a comedy duo. Oh, we had a lot That's of fun. Right. And she brought me to a Super Bowl party in February 2002. This is the U2 halftime concert post 9 11 okay. Super Bowl, the Britney Spears Pepsi commercial years. I remember it well. Yeah. She brought me to a, a party, her brother's house, uh, and had basically told everybody, This is my, oh my God, this is my guy. This is my friend. You're going to love them all. And I sat there silent for four hours. Mm. And people were coming up going, Is he not like us? What is he? And she got mad at me, kind of uh, maybe justifiably, mm-hmm. but it's like, you're like the toy and I put it on the table and you didn't toy. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and that has out of, I, you know, and, and, and we talked about it. I remember this, we talked about it and I was just like, I just don't feel like I can add anything to these conversations. You guys were having these wonderful jokey conversations. Y'all knew each other. I just didn't feel I could add anything. And she's like, bullshit. You have everything to add to it. We all have something to add to it. And, and I think that, that is the thing I try to take for it. And I still fail on it. Grace will mm-hmm. tell the story. When I got, um, uh, you know, kind of poached from Defy Media to join Collider, 
it was one of the reasons I left is I'd made a bunch of friends at Defy, important friends in my life, but all my friends at the time, the Alice's, the Harloff's, the Riley's, the Makuga's and whatnot were at, were at Collider. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, and plus it was 10 minutes from home uh, versus an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go there and, and, and Grace already worked there. And she was just, everyone was like, Oh, Ken's coming. Oh my God. Oh, the Schmo's news, all these, all these great things. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not disparaging anything. They nice. They said about me. And she kept, oh, my God, this guy sounds awesome. And then I showed up and I was this grumpy, quiet, stoic bump on a log. And she literally told her friends, this guy sucks. He sucks. (laughs) I I heard all these things about him and he sucks. Uh I needed to unwind. I needed to, to, you know, know, first day jitters are a thing. But but it was was three months into it where I was able to be myself. Gotcha. And uh, then she was like, oh, I get it. And, you know, now we're engaged and been together. Yeah, so it worked out. I think it worked out for you. I'm just going to go on a limb here. Uh, okay. 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 So next question. As we spoke about, you are now a published author. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you talked about the idea of, of having a book in you. Do you think that you have another book in you? And is it, once again, is it, is it writing about other people's works or do you you even kind of mention it as well? Is there a narrative? Do you think there's a narrative book in you? Uh, What, how do you think? I used to think so. I don't know. And maybe that's the wrong. And I even had a conversation with Alicia Malone about that years ago. I haven't talked to Alicia in in years. She's doing wonderful things. Still Mm -hmm. turning classic movies. Uh, She said, no, I think you have a narrative in me. I I don't, I even, I don't screenwrite as much as anymore. I don't write sketches. I've moved on from that stuff a little bit. Um, My heart's not in that. Um, So maybe that's why my answer is coming from not a a self-esteem problem. It's coming from, I just don't know if I want to write a a narrative, uh, you know, fiction-based book. Uh, Other things I like, other essays and those kind of things. I Mm -hmm. think there is. um, I had, I think I'm out of my contract now, to be honest. Um, I had pitched a follow-up to Mm -hmm. Mango. Um, that was more personal. It was um, like it was going to be more of the stories that we might tell on Force Center. Um, mm-hmm. Example being like I had mentioned earlier, my friend Gavin, uh, my best friend from like second to like high school. He, he passed away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. We had not spoken for a few years. And one of my lasting memories, one of the last times I really saw him before his life had started to change and slide downhill in a dramatic way was the opening of Phantom Menace. And okay. he drove down to L.A. And I wanted to tell that story. Yeah, I wanted to tell the story of me seeing Return of the Jedi in 1983 and driving home or riding home, I should say, my mom and dad's station wagon and looking to the stars and thinking, mm-hmm. what's out there for me? Uh, those are the stories I went to. They didn't want to do that. Huh. Um, and that's okay. They wanted me to write a recap of Mando season one or that kind of stuff. I wasn't gotcha. into it. You know, the book was came out before. Rise of Skywalker before yeah. Mandalorian before all the stuff. There's a lot of yeah. things today to do. I just don't know I have that interest. And I'll say this: the final thing, and this is a truth uh, that I think people hear. It was hard to write it. Writing's yeah. hard, and I've been a writer in a lot of ways for my whole life. And I think it's Carrie Fisher, among other people, have said, you know, being a writer is like having homework for the rest of your life. I was a good student, but I could have been greater. I just hated. I just hated mm-hmm. homework, and I hated having it now. Uh, I had some absolute near nervous breakdowns writing why we love star wars mm-hmm. tight deadlines um they pretty much took everything around there was one chapter they had me completely re- re- rewrite uh, mm-hmm. and i kind of disagreed with them on it and i had but i had to do it and and i had a couple times where i literally had my head in my pillow on my bed crying going i, I don't know if i can do this anymore right now in my life i don't know if i want that struggle <laughs> i got yeah. a lot of struggles that's the reality of it um the other reality you want the you want the truth you want the reality mm-hmm. um 
I, I was very thankful for the sales I've got. You, you can't make a living off writing those books in this mm. level, small independent press. And there comes sometimes business wise where you have to look at what you're doing and go, what's yeah. taking my time and what's actually working for me professionally. That's okay. where I'm at. Yeah. You recently said on, uh, or something I recently listened to, uh, of yourself, you said, uh, you said something along the lines of writers hate writing. And uh, that really hit me uh, at mm -hmm. a, uh, a point where I, I was wrote six scripts for an audio drama, each about 50 some odd pages. And there I was doing it while I had no job. Thankfully, I, mm -hmm. I have a job that's bringing in some money now. But when I over the summer, I wanted to rip my hair out. I was just I, I would just kind of go off into a, a separate world because I'm doing the thing I love. But when you're just staring at you know, when you're on page 45 and you're like, I still got, I still have to wrap all this up. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, I fully mm -hmm. understand what, what you're saying. It's, it's, it's not easy, but it's for some reason we like, yeah. <laughs> we like that. It's not easy. It's rewarding. It's fun. And like, look, when I do a lot of essays, like one on four center YouTube channel, we were trying to do some essays, but quite frankly, mm -hmm. people weren't tuning in for them. But like, I have mm -hmm. one of uh, the lessons of Lil Leia from the Kenobi series. Mm -hmm. I love everything with that character in that series yeah. and I wrote it and it's about eight minutes and I love it. And I, and in fact, uh, I, I'll say it's say this is a humble brag, like Vivian Lyra Blair and her mom saw it and wrote me okay. and loved it. and, and her awesome. mom said, we cried while we watched it. And, mm -hmm. and that means a lot, but yeah. I don't know if I want to write another one. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? No, I, I don't blame you. I, I, I was doing those sort of things for, for Geekscape for a little bit there. And mm -hmm. uh, I put, hours upon hours days upon days into them and they got some of the lowest geekscape views and it kind of broke my heart you know they they loved them uh yeah. but it just you know i i i couldn't figure out the algorithm which is funny because one of them was about the matrix so i wish i had somehow figured out the <laughs> algorithm uh it's actually but funny enough that video is actually very much force center inspired which was talking about the merits of the matrix sequels uh yeah. so uh, again it just all all comes Love it. So Ken, you have a history in public safety. You talked about how you know you're in that for 17 years. I I've always just kind of thought about this. You've mentioned it on various shows. Have you found yourself pulling from that 17 year experience in any of the other fields that you have been in since? Yeah, pulling from it in terms of uh, taking some of the skills forward or lessons. Yeah, yeah. the skills. You know, mm -hmm. uh, anything similar to day to day. Anything like what? Yeah. How you know. We always take something, you know, I still take things. I worked at Lowe's. I still take something. Yeah. So in that sense, yeah. If you're doing it, if you're doing it right, no matter whatever job you have, uh, whatever job you have, whatever job you lose, whatever relationship that ends, uh, this is uh, why I think it's important to embrace change. A big lesson in Star Wars, you're always yeah. going to take something for. There's a job just this last year. I was doing this part-time job for this big YouTube company. Um, it didn't work out. It wasn't mm -hmm. a good fit. Um, they let me and a buddy go. Uh, I didn't even, I think I got on air once. They wouldn't let me on air. It was a whole weird thing. Um, mm. but I took some skills from it that I had, I hadn't even learned before. It's like, oh, that's a great way to do that. I haven't thought about, so I'm doing that on my own YouTube channel in terms of like an actual template to write. Yeah. To um, so I did take a lot from a security uh, job. I was, uh, uh, I moved, what happened was I, you know, growing up, I, I wanted to be in entertainment. I wanted to do comedy, but my uncle was a police officer and I always, you know, like a lot of kids, like I'll be a policeman, a fireman or an astronaut. And I did want to be a police officer for a long time yeah. and, um, thought that was going to be a career path. I ended up moving to LA and, and it just didn't, but I got, I transferred to a different movie theater down in LA was making $5 an hour. Um, wasn't surviving. And my uncle, a retired LAPD officer was running the mall, the, the, the mall security at Northridge okay. fashion center, Northridge, California. And, uh, he said, just come work for me. 
you get benefits and then he goes i think you should be a police officer anyway so that's how i started within a few years i did not this is not what i was supposed to be doing other friends yeah. of mine were going on literally going on to saturday night live and i was like uh, that's what i'm supposed to be doing um but i got lost and i got locked in that world um and, and i got really depressed like severely depressed um but uh, then I got promoted and then I became the director of security at the farmer's market next to the Grove in Hollywood. Then I, I went back and I became, I was the first non-law enforcement, retired law enforcement person to become the director of security at that mall. And you know, you're doing, it's, it's like the movie yeah. up in the air, up in the air, George Clooney, the Jason Reitman film based on the book where, you know, JK Simmons gets fired and he's upset. And, and George Clooney asked him, what, what was it? What was the number? What was the number that made you give up on your dreams? And I remember the day I got promoted and I thought, Oh, this might be, this might be it. This might be it. So I have a lot of depression and, and stuff and bad memories attached to the yeah. job, not to the people I met on the job. But going forward, there's a certain strength. There's a certain understanding of how the, the realities of the world. Uh, there is, um, um, I feel more prepared for emergencies in the public than other people, uh, but also how to manage people, how to mm -hmm. not manage. I made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I've grown, I've changed. Um, um, and, and I took that forward. I got the screen junkies job, not based on, entertainment career stuff but but i had run a staff of 55 people with a two million dollar contract yeah. and I, I i supervised at uh, times 12 to 15 active lapd officers they were like okay if you can handle that you can probably handle youtube so yeah. i took a lot of that forward so you always should be looking at what you can take forward i love that there's so many wonderful people that you have worked alongside and continue to do so uh i'm always fascinated with you know, I've I, I even in my my you know, couple of years doing this, I I've had I had someone that I thought was I truly saw myself working with him till till I was seventy years old. I thought this was my guy, this is my creative partner for the rest of my life, and that just didn't happen. It, it last year it just fell apart. Uh, and so, how do you know when you found a collaborator that's on sort of the same wavelength or collaborators, I should say, on the same wavelength as you? And how do you kind of foster those relationships? This is a great question. Uh, you're very insightful. You got a Thank you. very bright future, Garrett. Here, um, yeah. It, the first thing again, it's this big theme: change. Um, sometimes communication's key. I, I, I have, like I said, I, I hinted at up top. Um, I could make you a list on or off camera of of, of people and moments in my career that I think um, are their faults mm -hmm. um, that they did, and some people are just people I'll never want to talk to again, let alone work with again. Uh, they're monsters. But I think it's more important for me to look at the uh, even triple the size of that list of my mistakes and try to own it. I've been bad at owning it in the past because it's easy because it's easy to point at them. Yeah, It's easy yeah. to be mad at them. So I look at that. That's a way to look at. But yeah, also, I also don't think you ever really know, including relationships, right? Mm -hmm. I walked into Collider. There's this like really attractive redhead in the corner that I was nervous to talk to. And now we're engaged and we have two yeah. chihuahuas and, you know, <laughs> um, we might get Thai food later. You know, like that's yeah. that's you never know. You never know. Uh, Mark Ellis and I, he's one of my absolute best friends. I think I'm one of his friends. Um, <laughs> we've we've known each other for literally 20 years. And when we first met, he doesn't even remember. I remember it because I was like, who the F is this unfunny guy? I don't like him at all. This chubby, weird haired <laughs> guy. You never know, right? You never know. Um, Scrimshaw and I, like, mm -hmm. we're we're coming up on 10 years of knowing each other and then soon 10 years of working with each other. Jen, Jen mm -hmm. too, but Joseph, you know, she stepped away yeah. for a few years and 
Um, you know, Joseph and I uh, got along great the first time we met, but I, there was no indication that this would be the guy that I would co-found and run a podcast that would be most of my journey for the next decade. Yeah. There was no indication. How we keep that going? We're friends. We're great friends. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we also, we talk when we work. Uh, occasionally we'll go to dinner, occasionally we'll hang out. We were all in London and his wife, Sarah is just a delightful human being. And we, me, Sarah, Grace and Joseph were in London together. And that was a great time. So we're friends. I want to, yeah. but you know, I think what helps too is I also don't see him for six days. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the other things that have not worked out have been that, buddy, we're going to do it. And then by the yeah. third day, you're like, this guy's annoying. <laughs> And I'm probably annoying him. And then that's that's the ones where it's falling apart. Yeah. Fast. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I had. Uh, yeah. On the last episode, I had on uh, yeah, two filmmakers who are running their production company, Sad Girl Cinemas. And they kind of talked about that similar sort of separation of church and state. They probably go yeah. out uh, a little bit more uh, as a duo uh, than maybe the four center. I don't know if four yeah. centers going out clubing. Exactly. Uh, maybe for some death yeah. sticks. But uh, great at a bar. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. I, you know, he, as someone who doesn't drink, I got to be honest, when he talks about some of the drinks that he has on, on you know, when he, he makes these concoctions before he watches yeah. some shows, I'm like, I don't drink, but that sounds pretty good, brother. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like, I love hearing about that. The, the, I always yeah. want to hear that because, you know, I had this, this experience, it didn't work out and I've just moved on. You know, I moved on to work with other people that I know will continue yeah. to be a part of my creative life. My my final thing on that because it also goes it's professional, it's personal, it's romantic. It's is is um, uh, there's seasons, right? There's seasons, of, and I've got friends that I'm hanging out with now that were my best friends 20 years ago, and then life took us apart, right? We moved to LA together. We were in a house together. They got married. One this this, and we never like did never had a falling out. We never yeah. got upset each other. Life just went this way, and now we're suddenly at almost with no effort finding that we are back. Yeah, and we're going to lunch and we're texting, and it's just seasons of life. And and, and one of the things I, I I really came to grips with in the last couple of years is sometimes, well, again, professionally, just personally or romantically, you might look across the table at someone and realize that the only thing you have in common is the past and nothing going forward. And that's maybe the time for the change. It's hard. It's heartbreaking. It's, some people don't understand it. I got some friendships that have kind of wrapped up in my life that mm -hmm. they don't understand why. Um, and sometimes I don't understand why. But if you can latch on to that, I think that's a good step. And again, also, you never know. 10 years from now, you could be working together again. Exactly. I, I You said many things in there that I, I did really need to hear in, in multiple facets of my life. And so, Ken, I, this is this is the last one. This is the hardest hitting thing I could come up with. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually even it's more of an ask than it is a question. Mm -hmm. Ken, can you talk about why Chihuahuas are just the best for a minute or two? <laughs> well, OK, yeah, this is great. So, yeah, we have uh, two Chihuahuas now, Francis. Uh, then we have uh, Baxter, our 17-year-old Chihuahua, a blind Baxter boy. And Francis is about five. She's a rescue we got last year. Before that, we had Adelaide, a.k.a. Ratsy. If a lot of people who are fans of Collider or just Grace or I were aware of her, she passed away in December 2020. Uh, but prior to this, like, I hadn't had my own dog the entire time in L.A. Um, but I was raised – mom – dad came around, but mom's a big mm -hmm. animal person. Gotcha. Uh, and my dad is now, but in, back in the mm -hmm. day, he was that, we don't need another dog. Um, we had poodles, we had dachshunds, and I love, we had a lot of dachshunds when mm -hmm. growing up, up until even when my mid-20s. I was a dachshund fan, still am. Um, I made my jokes about chihuahuas, 
the Taco Bell dog and all that <laughs> stuff. I made my jokes. Paris, Paris Hilton and her chihuahua. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met Grace and I met Ratsy. And then four days after we started dating, I still hadn't met Baxter because he was aggressive towards men, as he should be. He was protective. Mm-hmm. And then he jumped on my lap and we were we've been best buds ever since. Okay. They are full of too much personality. They're sometimes full of too much aggression, uh, but they're full of uh, strength and courage. Um, the Beverly Hills Chihuahua movie. It's a great movie. Tiny but mighty is the lesson <laughs> in that. Uh, and uh, and I absolutely love uh, the every day is uh, is a fun. Francis wakes up every day with a little wiggle butt running up and down the halls, and it's just fun and i love watching the world through their eyes so i i am okay with big dogs i've just never had big dogs my mm-hmm. my sister-in-law has um giant dogs and they're great um one of them's named titan literally and he'll he's twice my size and he sits gotcha. on me like a chihuahua <laughs> and that's just not for me on a regular basis so yeah. i like a lap dog but yeah chihuahua's tiny but mighty man and they're admirable yeah. for that Yes, uh, we we here at Not Just a Guy are, are big lovers of chihuahuas. My first ever dog was a chihuahua named Chacha with a she was chocolate and she had a curly little tail. Yeah. Uh, we had we picked up a stray uh, Mikey. He's uh, Chacha is no longer with us, but Mikey is still with my parents and even my current dog Fitzy, my little son. He has a little chihuahua in him. He's got a little bit of everything. He looks like everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we love all dogs, uh, even big dogs. My sister, yeah. my my oh. fur niece. Yeah, she's yeah. big dog. First big dog I ever lived with. I still yep. pick her up. She's huge. She's like a German Shepherd Rottweiler sort of thing. I still pick her up because she's my fur niece. I have to, even though it hurts my back. My back is hurting right now thinking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yes. great. Well, Ken, uh, I want to thank you again for doing this. I absolutely loved this. This was so enlightening. Um, it, it's great to, you know, I've watched you on a screen and it, now to get to actually talk to you, you know, not just talk out loud while the podcast is playing. Uh, <laughs> it's been an absolute treat. And I, I truly mean that. And I, I, you know, I'm trying to grow this show and it's this show is it's my main creative fulfilling thing right now, uh, especially, you know, it, it's like you said, I, I I'm working a job that I, I do like it, I like the people I work with. Uh, I like the the students I work with. It's an education, but, you know, it's it's not fulfilling as much as it's fulfilling in a, in a way. But um, but I love doing the show and I love talking to storytellers like yourself. So thank you so much again for doing this. Is there anything you'd like to plug or talk about or send the people towards? Hey, yeah. First of all, thanks, man. This is great. And, and, uh, thanks for, uh, uh, making the schedule work for me. And, and, and I think, yeah, no, seriously, man, it's a great interview. You're really good at this and, and keep going and just dig in. It's a long journey. You don't know where it's going to take you ups and downs. Uh, so strap in, enjoy it while you, while you can, uh, okay. and when you can, uh, yes, first from easiest thing, go to my website, kennapsuck.com. I don't know if anyone actually listens to promotions, but yeah, I got a lot of things we're doing. Uh, my comedy album just came out in my day, uh, live from the Harrison pub in London. Uh, we recorded in April when we we're out there for star celebration and, um, there's a special edition on Bandcamp. I'm really proud of. Uh, and then, yeah, it's weird, man. Um, after talking about it, wanting to do it for years, uh, I am, I am, I wrote, uh, co-wrote seven songs with the uh, two great uh, guys, and we kind of formed this uh, band or this creative uh, group called the Moon Agers in honor of uh, one of my favorite David Bowie songs. And uh, we got music coming out November third, and, and an album coming out in December. So uh, okay. I have no musical talent. But I've always wanted to write some songs, and we did. And I'm really proud of it. And I didn't expect that to happen in my life at all. So there you go. Can't wait to hear it. I completely sympathize. I have a MIDI keyboard hiding somewhere in that closet (laughs) that I got last year for Christmas. I have no musical background besides singing. Uh, And I told myself, maybe I'll be like Carpenter. Maybe I'll be able to direct and make my own music. 
I think I've used it one time, but I need to use it more. Uh, and maybe listening to your music will inspire me to, hey. to do such a thing. So hey. thank you everyone so much for listening and or watching. Uh, the socials are there in the descriptions. They're on the screen. Just if you want to follow it, follow it. If you don't, just thank you for listening or watching. I have been your host, not just a guy, the guy, Garrett Briones, and I will talk at you next time. This has been a Not Just A Guy production.